It's the Camp Danny Show. Hey everybody, Dan Nichols here on the Camp Danny Show. Sitting in room G of faculty housing at the URJ Goldman Union Camp Institute for Living Judaism. It's staff orientation at camp. My day has been filled with unpacking, setting up my room, cleaning windows. I like to do this thing, it's my ritual when I come to camp, whatever room I'm put up in, I like to get down and dirty and detail the room. So I did a heavy dusting and uh, moved the furniture around, made my bed, cleaned up the bathroom, hung a new shower curtain in the bathroom, then ran a few errands, got my knickknacks and paddywhacks, and now it's the evening time. Staff orientation is in full swing. All of staff is assembled at Goldman Union Camp. Avodah has arrived today. Avodah is a kind of a, a dinosaur of sorts among the camps that I've visited over the last 15 years. Avodah can be translated out of Hebrew into English as service. Sometimes it's translated as worship or prayer. Essentially, that comes from the idea that our prayer and our worship, are, when we pray and give thanks to God, that's our service to God. Recognition, that's our work, to be able to say to God, you know, you provided this for us. We're thinking about something beyond just us, and we're thinking about you, and we're grateful for all that we enjoy. In terms of camp, Avodah is a program where these kids pay, their parents pay, about $4,500 for the summer, and the kids come to camp. These are rising seniors in high school. These kiddos work all summer long. Now, when I say kiddo, I, I really say that with all respect and love. Respect. I do, because I was once in this program, and I grew from it. It changed me. I learned a sense of, uh, I, I developed a work ethic, and I think it really came to that time. These folks who come, they work in the kitchen. They clean the dishes in the kitchen. They mop the floors, sweep them first, and then mop them. They clean up. They run trash runs every day for camp. They keep camp clean, keep it humming. They uh, clean the, the bathhouses in both the girls' and the boys' area. And that is not fun, often days. Well, maybe they do make it fun. There are great stories from Sanford Kopnick, who was an incredible Avodah unit head, I think in 1984, with Amy Wolf. At any rate, he tells great stories about how they were able to as unit heads flip the script with their Avodanikim, their participants, and get them fired up and excited to go plunge a toilet. And the worse the toilet, the more excited they got. Just, I guess, something that happens when you're a teenager and you're thrown into doing the work. And I think that's why Avodah is so important, because that's what it does. It does really develop a sense of work ethic, a sense of providing for a community, even with things that seem so menial and basic. Avodah got here today, and really camp is starting to hum. Camp had its first real song session tonight, its first tefillah, its first prayer services tonight in the outdoor chapel, the Beit Tefillah. And um, boy, I got to tell you, this camp 
is so open to singing. I have not heard a community that sings this way with this consistent amount of degree of openness and welcoming and this sense of, of course, that's what we do here. Um, it's really as simple as a staff member standing up in front of the group and saying, we're going to sing. Here's how we're going to sing. And here's why. And thanks a lot for following me. Here's my vision. Here's where I'd like us to go. And I really appreciate you being there for me and for the rest of camp. Let's see what will happen. It happened tonight in the dining hall. Head song leader here this year is Jacob Krause. And he couldn't have stood up anymore like a mensch and said the things I just said. And camp just leaned in. And there were plenty of changes, plenty of um, variations from what has happened in years past. There was an issue with one of the projectors. You see, our dining hall is a big rectangle. It's probably 90 feet long by 60 to 70 feet wide. Very large, long room. And, well, tonight there was a problem with one of the projectors, the one that's, that serves the main area where the dining hall is filled during staff orientation. And it couldn't have just been any more just obvious. Jacob said, we got a problem after song session. We, he didn't even say we have a problem. He said, after we do Birkat Hamazon, the blessing after the meal, we're going to ask you guys to come over to these benches over here facing this screen where we will um, we'll have our song session. So thanks. And that's what they did. No fuss, no muss. And he taught us, he taught a song right off the bat, which worked great actually. And, um, I thought he also learned a ton. I'm excited to have him on the show and talk to him about what he's thinking about as head song leader this summer for Goldman Union camp. I think we should have Jacob on. It would be good to have him in and talk about what he's thinking, thinking for this summer and what he thought about his first song session with staff and how he thinks that might change once camp gets here. I'm busy running around camp doing not what you think I'm typically doing at summer camp, and I thought it would be fun to tell you about that and as an example of what I love about camp. Today, my, my project was to go into the dining hall after dinner and go through all of the overhead projectors. My job was to um, get up on a ladder and flip the... Um, filter screen and pull out all the filters, clean them, put them back. And in doing that, discover that most of the filters have disintegrated and need to be replaced. So that's a bit of a project. And um, it was fun, actually. I enjoyed doing it. So that's been my work. I did a little bit of consultation and I even got a letter of specific request of how I can help a song leader. I was proud of myself for this because I usually just respond right on the spot when someone asks me for a favor or advice. And I actually did something my dad taught me a few years ago. The value of when you're asked a question, especially if you feel not ready to answer the question, which in this case I felt ready, but I also had some other things I needed to do in the moment. And so I said what my dad taught me. Let me think about that and I'll get back to you. And just like that, she said, great. And I said, in fact, would it be okay? I would love it if you would give me a little post-it note of the things you want me to take care of or think about as, I'm, as I help you. And then she said, cool. And then today at dinner, she gave them to me. I'm excited to help her with them. Here's what she was thinking about. 
She's interested in, in studying and talking about strumming, specifically playing with a quiet but full sound. That's interesting. And then here's another one. Playing while praying with kavanah. Kavanah means intention. So playing the guitar while praying with intention. Here's another one. Praying, no, back up. Playing a melody with the strings. That is an important skill. I have already an idea what I'm thinking about doing, which is just to say to her, pick a melody, any melody, and then hear what she has to say. And then I'll say, pick a key. Let her pick a key and then say, okay, play the first, like the A section of that melody on the guitar. And then sit with her and reassure her as she says, well, I don't know how to do it. And I say, well, then figure out how to do it. And then just give her space to do that. And then the last one is song leading for younger kids versus older kids or adults, exclamation point in parentheses. So these are interesting questions. I'm excited to think about that through the night and tomorrow and then work with her tomorrow on that. So that's a little bit of my day. And it's been a good day. And now it's time to say goodbye because it's time for me to put on my basketball shoes at 10.43 at night and take my new basketball down to the basketball court and play some hoopage with the dudes. David Reinhardt, a couple other guys. I'm not exactly sure who's going to be there, but I'm going now. So good night. I'll see you later. Take care. As it follows the tempo of a 
Welcome, everybody, to Room G, Goldman Union Camp Institute in Zionsville, Indiana. I am sitting in Room G. I'm going to say G for God. That's why I was placed here. That's what I saw and what I thought when I was placed in this room. I'm here with the director of Goldman Union Camp, Rabbi Mark Kovitz, and and a good longtime friend who's been doing the work with me here at camp since we were about, I don't know, 17, 18 years old. And I'm also sitting here in the room, in room G, with Rabbi Michael Moskowitz, two, three, and three, two, Rabbi Michael Moskowitz from West Bloomfield, Michigan. Uh, he's, a te- he's a rabbi for Temple Shir Shalom, and he's a longtime uh, staff member and returns here with his family every summer to do the work. It's late night. It's late night here. It's like, I don't know, one o'clock in the morning or something, and I leave in three and a half hours, and that's fine. And it was, we've been busy doing the work all this week and hadn't had a chance to wrap, and I just said, can you come in the room and we chitty chat it up? So welcome, Michael. Welcome, Mark. Good to be here. How often do we get the chitty chat? Not nearly often enough, and I just like to say, hey now. This section is of the show is called Camp Chitty Chat. We take a couple minutes and just check in, just shoot the breeze, just whatever you're feeling. How you doing, Michael? <laughs> you got a big <laughs> grin on your face. <laughs> this is like a late night radio spaz fest. I'm having so much fun already. I also like just hanging in room G. Well, it's 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 an opportunity I haven't had in a while. So this is this is special chitty chatting with you, Dan, and you, Mark, and uh, sitting here at camp after a glorious week together. And this won't apply to the folks that listen to this when we're actually broadcasting or sending it out, but it's the it's the Father's Day edition of the Camp Danny Show. Today's Father's Day, and the three of happy, us, the three of, Father's Day. The three of us are fathers, so that's a special thing. I, I brun- we went to brunch. You and I, Michael, and I asked you a very serious question. I don't think you're prepared for, but like, how has being a father changed you? I was not prepared for it because I was really just enjoying my omelet at the moment (laughs) and thinking, wow, the onions are so crisp and delicious. And then Dan throws this gauntlet down of depth and real questions. Being a father is an amazing thing. It is. I mean, seeing the world through my children's eyes and, uh, having the opportunity just to experience life with them. I was thinking about some of the most special memories at camp as you sort of prepped me for what we could talk about in our time together. And I have to say one of the most special moments at camp was last Shabbos, was Friday night, when Mark asked my family to come lead camp in the Shabbos blessings and to stand there, the five of us together with my wife Leslie and Ellie and Nathan and Asher, all of us together, lighting the Shabbos candles, singing Kiddush, leading the mozi. And just being the five of us together as a family with all of my camp family. Like, it all came together in that moment. It felt, and my kids weren't running away from me. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, this is not cool. My dad's at camp in my space right now. That's often how they are, of course, when they see me at camp. Like, oh, no, run the other way. Here comes the bald old dork. That's, they were like, okay, we can do this together. And it was, it was nice. It was nice. I got a couple of great pictures of you guys, of all of us up there. That was, yeah. So that's a new new favorite memory for me at camp. Good. 
Have you ever done that before? Yes, I've had. Yes, we, okay. Mark has asked us to do it, and you know what? It, it's a it's a cool honor to be up there as a family at camp, to sort of represent camp, to represent my colleagues. It's special, but I also love that my kids are okay being with me in those moments. Like it's always this, and Mark, you feel it, I'm sure, as well, even more so. This like space you want to give your kids at camp. Being a rabbi here, playing here, enjoying here, loving this place, having my own memories that go back 30 years here, and now this being their space, their place, their sacred place that they get to create, and having them turn around and seeing that I'm standing in the back of the Mirkaz Tarbut, and like, uh-oh, <laughs> am I raining on their parade, and why not to do that for them? So usually they're okay. So I like that on Shabbat we were able to create that together. So are you saying that you one thing you've learned is how to stay out of the way? Mm, I don't know if I've learned that. <laughs> <laughs> I, Maybe I, next year. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't try to embarrass them. Maybe I do. No, I'm with you plenty times when you're with them, and it's very consistent, your behavior pattern, whether they're there or not. They know what to expect. It's freaky. You know what? They say, oh, God, Dad, don't do that. But then I hear them telling their friends the stories of things that often, Dan, that we have done together. Oh, that's good. So those spaz fest moments that we've created, and and I hear them telling their friends, like, my dad and Dan did, you know, <laughs> you won't believe this. When the moment happened, they're like, Dad, stop that. Dad, it's not cool. Dad, don't do that. But then they jump. So you know what? It's okay. It's okay. You know, I... I, I'm excited to hear what that sounds like in 20 years, right? Yeah. So, uh, so how has become being a father changed my life in every possible way? Right. I think that uh, it's it's you know what? There's also a piece of life I think that now the fragility of life and and like wanting to hold on to it so tightly and and the blessings we have, but just look. You know the story. The boys were two pounds when they were born. They were in the hospital for eight weeks as preemies. And, you know, you live in denial and not realizing how precarious their life was in the beginning. But now they're taller than me and they have been healthy their whole life and became bar mitzvah this year. and All these amazing things. And so I think, like, will my children be okay, right? making yeah. sure of that and uh, always thinking of that, uh, always being present in your mind, not thinking of myself, thinking of, will my family be okay? So I think that's one thing that's always present in my mind. Oh, and more deep thoughts. In Let's hear J. from Marky Mark and his funky bunch. All right, first off, I need you to know, happy pappy, I mean, that is... I'm giving you credit for that. I've never heard that before. It's been right there for the taking. And then you say, happy pappy. And then I'm just, that's so good. First first of all, um, what I think about that is that these are the coolest headphones far and away that I've ever worn. And I'm sitting here just, I, I forgot that I was going to be talking. I just, uh, I, I feel like I'm listening to a radio show. I love these headphones. Welcome. F- full disclosure, the last time I actually wore headphones, they were attached to my Walkman in 1987. Um, but But these are pretty sweet. In 1987, when you had a Walkman, yes. what were your jams? Uh, Boston. Cassette? Cassette. Okay. Boston, first album. Um, 
87 could have been that they probably were making the CD Walkman then by 87. I, I wasn't, I, I'm, you know, I, I get into stuff late. I was CDs probably around 1992. Uh, okay. 87, I think I had a lot of Van Halen in my Walkman. Oh, I bet you did. Um, Jump? Yeah. Uh, yeah, 1984 was in there, but uh, Van Halen 1 was always big with me. Hot for Teacher? Uh, from, from 1984 also, yeah. Um, <laughs> gr- great album. Okay. Great album. Just, um, that, let's talk Happy Pappy. Yeah. Because what, what the hell? It, it just came to me last night. It, it's, um, I had not heard that any, anywhere before, and we were discussing. I was thinking about inviting the two of you to celebrate uh, Father's Day with me off camp because none of us are with our children uh and, yeah. and mike and i our children are here at camp but you know the responsible for thing thing for us to do is to allow them to have the same experience the rest of the campers have which is they're not with their parents on, on father's day yeah uh and we've all known each other so long i thought we, we should be going out together and there was something about the idea of texting you to say we should go out tonight and it's, it's almost reverse. Your personality came back to me <laughs> through my phone before I sent the text. And I felt like the way to say Father's Day to you was happy pappy. Well, it was. And, and there it is. And then this morning at breakfast, <laughs> I, I hate to say this. I, this is an, uh, an invasion of privacy. But I was sitting across from you and you had your phone with that cool little microphone attached to it. Yes. And I was looking at that because what is that? And I saw, and you had some emails pulled up or texts that you were sending to people. And one of them, you'd wish someone a happy pappy. And I was like... I don't ever need credit for this. This is this is going places. Dan is going to send this out to the world, and it's going places. I told at least, or I texted at least seven people today, men who are fathers, happy pappy. I love it. I love it. Um, it just came to you. You're just like, bing, there it is. It, it, it was out there, and it just had to be grabbed and brought down. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, ridiculous. You know, um, fatherhood, um, and especially here at camp and having our kids here, uh, I I think probably one of the most challenging things is that not only are we here with our kids, and Dan, you're going to experience that next session when your daughter's here as a camper for the first time, and we get to be here with them, and we're trying to play by the same rules that we've always upheld that we expect parents here to give their kids space. And that's, it's a hard thing to do, Yeah. but we also all grew up here. And as I'm working with staff and trying to teach them that it's okay as you grow up to let go of your traditions so that another generation can come up and have theirs. It's okay to let camp change because the next generation is the one that's changing it. We have to, you know, have our kids here and allow our camp experience to stop and theirs to start. And this year, uh, I've got a daughter who's in her fourth summer as a camper and one who's starting her first summer as a camper. And they've both been here with me since they were babies. But their experience has always been wrapped up in my experience. And it just occurred to me yesterday that I've got to now put my camp experience away and let them start developing their own that isn't filtered through mine. And it's a a, a real challenge. Um, and, And for me, the way fatherhood changed me was that I always had every intention of being really selfish. Um, you know, when, you, when you're not married, when you're not a parent, you hear the platitudes that parents give out there uh, about how their lives have changed and about how I would sacrifice anything for my children. And, um, you know, nothing matters to me more, more now than them. 
And I, I de- think I definitely had the intention of being a selfish parent. And then all of a sudden your children are born and I don't know what it is, but all that stuff is actually true. And I, I love my children more than I could ever have imagined loving anything, anyone. And I really would be willing to sacrifice whatever is necessary for their happiness as a well-adjusted, fulfilled, self-realized uh, adult someday. And so part of that is giving them this amazing experience at camp that I know we all got to have and, and is so formative in who we are. And we have to take that step back and sacrifice part of our camp selves to let them start to realize theirs. Do you, do you, sacrifice is a very interesting word. Is that, sacrifice to me implies in the sense that you're having to, yeah, give up part of yourself. Do you feel that, like, well, I'm projecting this, but I can't imagine that you feel by doing this or by stepping back and allowing your girls to explore and identify their, their own traditions at camp that somehow you've, that you are losing anything? Well, I think it, it, it's not losing anything. It's, um, it's a, a frame of mind that my stories now need to be replaced with their stories. Huh. You know, and you mentioned that, you know, Michael, you've, filled your kids with the stories of you and Dan and, and the rest of our gang and your exploits uh, in younger days. And they're going to start with their own exploits. Um, yeah. I, I, I know your boys. They've already started their own exploits there. <laughs> uh, 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 all sorts of expletives. <laughs> um, th- 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 there's exploits going on. And, yeah. um, you know, it's nice for them to hear our memories. But sometimes that also ruins it for the kids a little bit because they get this perception of what camp is supposed to be filtered through the stories that we've told. And, and your stories are great. My stories are great. But as we get older, we also continue to rewrite those stories and add on to them and embellish them. Yeah. Um, and we give our kids sometimes a false sense of, of what it really was because our memories, our hindsight, is it's beautiful. Um, and we want them to be able to create memories not uh, in comparison with the the mystique of the of the legend that we feel we're giving them yeah remember did, wasn't it today i was saying this with our I, conversation I copied you exactly I, I, I have nothing original no no no. it was it's true i mean i said my daughter i think had a difficult time her first summer at camp because it couldn't compare to the things i had shared and both and my wife pointed that out that the things oh. spending time with dan and with the two of us yeah and then she came here and you know, how could it be that? And it wasn't that initially, right? Because ours was this, like Mark said, this glorious thing. Yeah. And it was like the crest of, of our, our our time here. So Yeah, and intensified through memory. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And also, only the good is, is there. Like all the crap has been weeded out. All uh-huh. of the chazerai, all, all, all the challenges, you know. You're not going to share those stories. I mean, you do in different contexts, but... But like, you know, my first night... I want to come back to that. Uh, I just want to tab that. Let's come back to that. Uh, the, the stories that are not the positive stories and how those serve us. I, I told one today, uh-huh. actually, to a Cabin 12 counselor who was so stressed, concerned, you know, that um, 
having some challenges with some of the kids in the cabin and just pulling his hair out. And I said, you know, I cried my first night as a counselor that I was, I had this great first week of camp. I'd never been to camp before. I started here as a counselor, met all these new people, friends, had a blast. We were hanging out together. 17 years old. 17 years old, right. It was, it was just an amazing week. Great first Shabbat. So excited for camp. And then the campers arrive. And it's an all-camp sleep in that first night. And the camp, and, and I had a cabin of 11-year-olds who were just wild and, and you know, 11-year-olds. And some were homesick and, and some were anxious and, and some were old school and had been here before, like the camp director's son. And I was like, what am I doing here? And... Now I had to stay in the back of my cabin, and I couldn't leave or go talk to anyone or or process. Uh, and my co-counselor was was great, and he was someone I could talk to about. But we hadn't developed as close a relationship yet. My brother was the unit head. He came and visited me. He's like, "It's going to be okay. It will work out. It will work out." And, <laughs> and thank you, Bonya. And I I thought. W- what am I doing here? I can't do this. I'm not qualified for this. I'm way over my head. And I was able just to hang in there. And within a day, got more comfortable in two days and three. And those, those opportunities were incredible for me as, uh, as a chance to grow. So I haven't told that story before. Right? I haven't shared that with my kids that like I wanted to run away my first night as a counselor. I only told them the good stuff. Uh huh. Right. But that was such an important story. So it was great that I could share it with a counselor today and said, look, we've all been there. You're going to get through this. Yeah. We'll, we'll stand with you. Well, I'm going to St. Louis tomorrow to see my mom and dad. But still, after that, we'll stay with you. Yeah. Oh, this is not live. No. It's a surprise when I see my Your secret is safe. Okay, good. Hi, mom. Hi, dad. Did you enjoy my visit? I'm fascinated. To, I'm, I'm excited for the transition. Ava will be going to camp here second session and all she's been asking almost every bedtime for the last two weeks I was home was walk me through the schedule again let's start from the very beginning and what happens the next hour and the next hour and then at 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 the meal what happens at the meal within she wants a breakdown even within the hour what's happening and then and how what's the schedule like on Friday and how is it different on Saturday and then it returns on Sunday why don't you do the Sunday one again like every night through bath and bedtime routine. And what I'm interested in is this next session when she's at camp, when we get back home, is she going to be telling me the stories of what she did every day? Just like you were saying, Mark, is will be, will, will it be her narrative? Will she be asking me for any more stories? And I don't come with an expectation per se. It's just, I'm fascinated about what, what will happen in that space after camp's over for her. She's pumped. I would say for me with being a dad, there are two areas that come to my mind that I have changed significantly. One is um, watching Ava or being with Ava when we're playing together, creative play, whether she's playing her viola or when the drum set is at the house and she wants to play drums and we're jamming in the studio or she's just playing and she's asking me to play with her and we're just in that play space is to witness and learn from her her free flow. There's a lack of judgment in when she's working and doing her thing that 
when I'm playing and doing my play work of playing guitar and creating something, I had a judgmental voice working a lot. And when she was playing, I don't see that at all. And that is very inspirational to me. And the other thing that I um, have been changed by being her dad is um, I feel like I'm, I pay attention better than I did before she was born. And I think it's actually because of something that I'm sure you heard this a lot when your kids are born. It's going to go so fast. You hear this from everybody. Enjoy every moment. Before you know it, they'll be graduating from high school. Like when she's first born, people are telling me this at Temple. And I was, uh, and initially I was a little annoyed by that. Like, why do you just need to tell me right. How trite. advice right now? Why can't you just be in this moment with me? But then it kept happening over and over again. And so I took that as, okay, this must be a sign. The good Lord wants me to know something. Oh, I said, Lord. I, I apologize to your wife, Leslie. She doesn't like the term Lord. No, it's only... That pushed her buttons this morning at breakfast. She like pulled me aside. She's like, do you know why that bothers me so much? We sang in the, at breakfast this morning, hallelujah, 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 praise be the Lord. Praise be the Lord. Hallelujah, praise be the Lord. Hallelujah, praise... That one. Up and down singing. And that pushed her buttons. That's total tangent. Yeah. Speaking of buttons, my earphones aren't working right now. Oh. Am I still on, though? How do yeah. I sound? I can hear you. Oh, that's good. Well, as long as you can hear me, I'm happy then. I'll fix, them, happy. I'll fix them for you. It One sec. Will you, sing, will you sing that song again? Hallelujah, 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 praise be the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 praise be the Lord. I wish you could see what they're doing <laughs> in room G. Mark is standing up. And Michael's sitting down. Trying to figure out his earphones. The, the song leader is standing in the middle of the dining hall, and he has his hands up to one side of the room and down to the other. And you put your hands up and you put your hands down. And you follow, the rest of the camp follows the direction of the, the song leader. And it's just a morning goofy song. Want to switch earphones? <laughs> the, I think it's either, no, you're good. If, if you want, you just can, toggle you the, can snuggle in here swiggle the wiggle. Here. It's okay. I'll manage. That section was called, that segment was called Camp Tangent. Camp Tangent, which that would be a fine thing to edit out. But the, um, the part about going fast, and as, as trite as it is, Dan, yeah. be, be careful. It goes really fast. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I can't, I mean, I look at Ellie. My yeah. daughter is her last year as a camper. Like when I saw Ron Klotz last week, and we were, we were laughing about the fact that her beginning as a camper yeah. and, 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 you know, her transition into this. And for me, of course, you want your children to succeed. So I didn't want to live vicariously through her, but you know, when there's special things to, for them to enjoy and that it meant something to me, you want your children to have that opportunity. You know, look, camp has helped me grow. Camp has helped me mature. Camp has given me a foundation of my Judaism and has definitely pushed me in the direction to become a rabbi and the kind of rabbi I am. So I know that potential that exists in this in this sacred place, in this community. And so I want her to have that kind of foundation that camp can give. And so when maybe that couldn't happen or wouldn't happen and, and you're like, okay, maybe it's not, maybe it's not for everyone, but it's, 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 it's a very special thing to hear your children talk about camp in uh, such a glowing way, such an influential way as they tell their peers about why they need, they need to come to camp, why this matters in their life. Yeah. So, 
you know, I'm going to go back to, to being a dad, which is really one of my favorite topics, and, and that question of of dealing with the fact that the time goes so fast and you're warned about it from the beginning. And I'm someone who always is trying to hold on to these special moments and, and really I rue the passing of time. And being the men of the, the age that we are, uh, we, you start to think about the end game, the long run, and um, you know, not, not to bring things down, but you can dwell on it an awful lot. And one of the things I've realized, though, is that as often as when my children were babies and growing up through being toddlers and young school children that I felt like at every stage along the way, this is the most precious they're ever going to be. I've got to hold on to this right now because I'll always love them. They will never be more adorable than they are right now. And the fact is they just get better and better. Um, you know, and if you're maintaining that healthy relationship with them, they do get better and better and better. And they're not always adorable like a baby. Yeah. But you, but you appreciate them more as you admire them more as people. So I'm watching my youngest two grow up. Uh, I've got, you know, as I said, my youngest is uh, going into third grade. Her first year is a camper right now. My second youngest is just beginning middle school in the fall, and I can't believe it. Wow. I'm just in, in shock about that. But I've got, you know, two older daughters also who are growing up to be just excellent, excellent young women. And I watch my oldest, Hannah, who is now a, a sophomore, at, actually going into her junior year at Colorado State, which is also shocking to me because it seems like yesterday that I came back to Goldman Union Camp, having been gone for two or three years when I was directing another camp, and I came back as faculty, and I'd acquired a family, and my young daughters at that time were, I think, four and seven, and they stepped onto this camp for the first time and fell in love with it, even as they felt like strangers in a strange land. And I... Thank you. And, you know, the, the idea that Hannah is now heading into the back half of her college career is shocking to me, but she's such a remarkable young lady, and I have so much admiration for her. And that's not something you necessarily feel when they're younger. You feel a lot of other emotions. And so the time passes quickly, but it brings you to better and better stuff. And the relationship that you can have with them as they grow older. Again, I adore the relationship I have with my young daughters right now. I can't wait to see what it's going to be when they're older. And so the time is going to pass fast. But if you're open to it, it just brings better and better stuff with it. Yeah, and this being open is what I ultimately was taught by people saying to me over and over again at the time, you know, pay attention, it's going to go so fast. And at some point I got frustrated by that and decided, why am I frustrated by this? What if I thought about it differently and just use it as a, consider it as maybe they're little angels saying, like giving me a gift. And what would it be like if I really paid attention to these moments? that whatever they are. And while it, it has gone fast, I don't feel I've missed it. And I'm out of town a lot. And I'm home four or five days a week, and then I go out every weekend, pretty much. And that's all our family has known. Um, and maybe I take one Shabbat off a month, if we're lucky, that's what I get at home. And that always gives us like nine days straight at home to get back into a nice, really good family rhythm. But that being said, I don't feel like I've missed our family. I've missed the moments. I've missed Ava growing up. I feel like 
it's been very full. And I think it's in many ways because of those people who said, pay attention, pay attention. And I think it's through having, like having that responsibility, having that honor, having the gift of caring for a child, being a parent has helped me grow in that kind of way. And I like the way that feels. I like how I feel as a, as a man, as, as Dan. For me, moments are such fleeting things. And to be told to hold on to this moment, um, no denial of what you feel. For me, it feels like a fool's mission because the second you pay attention to a moment, it's already gone. And I've just never been someone who can um, go experience something beautiful with a camera in my hand and taking the snapshot yeah. and still be able to appreciate what it what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't consciously try to appreciate my children's youth and appreciate it at the same time while I'm making that conscious effort. It's not something I'm capable of. And so I've resigned myself to putting away the cameras, to not trying to mentally record everything, but just being there with them and being attentive to them. And I think um, and, you know, maybe they'll tell me differently later on, but I think I have an exceptional relationship with my daughters and it, it's invo- it involves that being present for each other. And I don't have to be concerned with what memories I'm having. I have to be concerned with what memories I'm making for them. Oh and my I, God. I, and You're I can, talking like a camp counselor, Mark. Uh, well, and uh, I mean that with love and great respect. I had that job once. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and I wasn't very good at it. But again, that's how fatherhood's changed me. Um, and, and I think, you know, again, I can't force the memories. And we try to do that sometimes, too, as a parent and as camp counselors. We're going to create these special moments. They're going to make memories for them. And what the kids remember, they don't always remember the vacation to Disney World the way we planned it. They remember throwing up in the car and what happened after that where laughter ensued or, or whatever. Yeah. They remember the unplanned things where we were together, where we were present for we're each present. other. And so I can't force what those memories are, but by, but by being with them, not just in the same location, but really emotionally with them, uh, I, I think we create those memories. Don't you love, though, as a dad, being in a moment and suddenly thinking, I wonder if a memory was just created. Will that stick in the minds of our children? Well, that like we think back to our childhood, yeah. things that happened with our parents, with our friends, things that weren't planned or whatever it was that we remember now so fondly, right? Yeah. I told you a story. I think I told both of you when I went running with my brother back in New Jersey when I was doing I was in New Jersey officiating at a wedding for a Temple Shir Shalom kid who was marrying a woman from New Jersey, and it happened to be in the town next to the town where my brother and I were both born, our first house that we lived in for our four, my first four years of my life. And my brother, Steve, and I, he picked me up at the hotel. We parked the car in the elementary school we went to and uh, went for a run and ran by our, our old house. And all of these memories, right, that, that were they planned? you know, was, or just happened. And I, I wonder sometimes when things are happening with my children, like, Ooh, will this be like filed in that memory bank and pulled out when they're with their best friend saying there's once this time when we as a family were, and, or is it just one of many blessings they have many cool things, right? So I remember some of the, the, the dramatic moments in life. And they, I hear them telling the stories like when, 
Nathan Asher were trying to see if they could balance on the yoga ball on top of the moving treadmill. And the yoga ball got sucked under the treadmill with Asher. And Nathan then came into the kitchen as I was doing the dishes and said, Dad, we need you. Dad, Dad, we need you. Dad. And then Asher came out and he had somehow got his arm out of there and was like, you know, secondary burns on his arm from the mat of the of the treadmill. And it was not a good moment. And they tell that story lovingly now. Like, remember when you got stuck into the treadmill because I put the yoga ball in there? It's like, yeah, that was hilarious. And they think it's hilarious now as they tell it. Or even better, when when they were wrestling once. And um, <laughs> just you know, children's services on the way. They were wrestling. No, <laughs> they were wrestling with each other. And and Nathan came upstairs, and and Leslie and I were getting dressed to go out that evening, and he goes. Uh, dad, dad, I think I chipped my tooth. Dad, yeah, oh, I chipped my tooth. Oh, yeah, look, dad. I, oh, I think Asher's bleeding too from his head. I <laughs> 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 go downstairs and Asher's over the toilet, very, very conscientious as blood is pouring out of his head because Nathan's tooth is in Asher's head. And uh, well, oh, I forgot about that. Right, story. right. Yeah. And so, and they were both laughing about uh-huh. it and still do. Uh-huh. And And the whole resolution of that too, the field ER that we did with the crazy glue. I want to go back to New Jersey. Yes. And I know you got you want to say something. All right, I want to go back to New Jersey and the story I, I wanna I wanna to turn to turning and to Shuva. And I wanna hear I wanna hear a little bit about that because there's something I wanna talk about in terms of turning and Shuva and Goldman Union Camp and something that's happened to me this year. Um, you were in New Jersey. Yes. You're running, you're reliving these memories, you're with your brother, you're running the same path you used to walk and run when you were kids, getting to school. And it was much quicker than it was when we walked to school. Okay. And you told me a story about the country store. The country store. Yeah. About a mile from the house, a little country store that had like cold cuts and candy and things like that you could buy. And I must have been seven years old. And I stole a pack of double mint gum, green double mint gum, and I stuffed it into my pocket of my jacket. And double your pleasure. Double your, double fun. your fun. That's right. And um, and I forgot, and I was with some friends, and um, I had gloves in my pocket, I remember. I remember I had a green jacket on, like an army green jacket on, and uh, nylon. And it was, um, and the store owner stopped me. He says, hey, what's in your pocket? Empty your pockets. And I and I, said, I have my gloves. Okay, you can go. And I got away with it. And I had that gun. And we were running. And my brother said, oh, there's a country store. And we used to get, I'm like, I, I stole a pack of gum from there. He's like, me too. Did it, did it flood you? Like <laughs> as soon as you saw the store, yeah. you saw the devilment yeah. in that but, moment? But we both did it. That was the irony. Uh, and did the thought occur to either of you? How many years later was it? 30? 40. 40 years later for both of you to just blow the shopkeeper away by going in there and plopping down 35 cents and saying, this is for the gum? Uh, I paid more than that. I had to pay double and I had to pay interest. And so I went in and I had a pack of double mint gum and I said to the store owner, I said, um, I need to pay uh, double the price of this at least because a number of years ago when I was a little boy, I took a pack of gum without paying for it. I stole it. And he said, I've only owned the store for 28 years. 
And then he said, but your picture's been on the wall for all this time. <laughs> and so he had fun with us, and uh, he, he didn't want us to pay double. Um, but I did still buy a pack of gum there. But I was very candid about it. I said, look, I, I did an ass kind of thing as a kid, and that's, that's, not, that's not good. I, you know, it was interesting. I, I told my wife the story. And um, I told my parents a story as well. They were like, Michael, you stole a pack. I said, yeah, I, I did. I, I, I wanted to tell my kids because I, I, I felt like it was, it was cathartic. That I felt good that I was able to do this, right? That I was totally yes. candid about it. And I, I, I you know, totally forgot about it, actually, until I saw the country store. I, that I had actually done this. Yeah. I totally blocked out of my memory. And, um, uh, but I, I couldn't tell them. I didn't want to tell my kids. I haven't told them because... To admit that as a seven-year-old or eight-year-old that I actually stole something, I did that. But, you know, we make mistakes and we have opportunities to make them right. So 40 years later. What what gets my attention is that it goes back to what we were talking about 20 minutes ago about the stories we tell and how when we tell our camp stories, they're so laced with joy and positivity and we filter out all the negativity and... Um, I, I'm fascinated and engaged and held in this place of how do, how do the stories of our shortcomings also inform our growth? Uh, I think that our stories, even the ones that were negative at the time, we look back at them in the context of where things ended up, which is a beautiful relationship with camp or with each other. And so it has a positive twist to it. And uh, Dan, I know you're the, the traffic cop of this conversation, but Mike's story calls something to mind that I'd like to take a detour, and I think you probably know where I'm going with this as far as taking from the country store, which is one of my fondest camp memories, and it was built on you and I remembering uh, together, not painful, but uh, negative childhood memories, and it really became something kind of cool which was probably 20 years ago when I was still on staff and you just came back for the first time as a song leading specialist here. And we were sitting around one night talking. I don't know how it came up, but you told me a story about you and your sister uh, going to a local candy store, walking there and getting in trouble for taking a certain candy bar. Do I have the story correct? You're so close. Go ahead. Go ahead with it. We were staying up at, I think, Lake Wall and Pawpack in northern Indiana. And my mom had friends who had a lake house up there. And my sister and I spotted the country store at the end of the road, and we planned to go there. I took money out of my mom's purse. Took the money. You, you and, liberated the funds. And Cody and I went out of the house without permission with stolen money down to the country store where I, I didn't eat a lot of candy as a kid. My mom was a real good earth, carob and honey balls kind of, that was how she was, <laughs> honey, peanut butter honey balls and carob chips and good earth. Anyway, there's the marathon bar. The marathon bar lasts a long, long time. 12 inches of chocolatey caramel goodness braided like a holla, paper thin with a ruler on the back of the wrapper so you know exactly how long it is. That was the candy I had to have. I pro- It was probably premeditated. So I went down there and bought it. And yeah, I bought it with money that I stole from my mom's purse. And that I just didn't do that. 
And no sooner were the words out of your mouth than I said, Dan, when I was five years old, I was in a supermarket line with my mom, and she was busy writing the checks or scanning the food through and not paying attention to me, the kind of thing where when you say, Mom, Mom, can I have this? Mom, can I have this? Mom, can I have this? And she says, yeah, 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 whatever. And she's not listening to you. And so I took that marathon bar. It was a marathon bar, and I took it, and I said, Mom, 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 can I have this? Can I have this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when the last item was scanned, the register lady said to my mom, and you have to pay for that too. And she pointed to the empty marathon wrapper in my hand. Even at five years old, I I took that, I, I tore that up. I tore up that marathon bar. And my mom was furious with me. And I that, that was the first time I really got in trouble for, for doing something bad. And you and I kind of bonded over that. And we began talking about the marathon bar and um, what it meant to us just through that memory, but also it being our favorite bar, each of us. And we decided, well, where is it? We haven't seen it in decades. And so we did some quick research and we didn't, I don't think we had the internet around, uh, at least not very readily available. The search was phone search. Because I ended up calling M&M Mars to find out where's the marathon bar, where can we get it? And they told me details of the eight years, mere eight years it was on the market, why it went off the market, and what we'd have to do if we wanted to get it back on the market, which was to start a grassroots campaign, which we tried to do from right here at Goldman Union yeah. Camp that very night, getting as many friends as we could from as many different zip codes or area codes to write in to MMR say, bring back the marathon bar. And ultimately it failed, but it was fun for the two or three years that we were really invested in it. And the weird thing is it was it, it was such a special thing to me that I, I think I told you sometimes I had dreams where I found marathon bars and I was calling you excitedly to say, I found them, I found them. <laughs> this <laughs> and really made you it, happy. It was, it was just, it, it was in there deep. And then a couple of years ago, if you remember, I called you because I had discovered that Cadbury made a bar that was exactly like it. And if you go to any of your towns to a British candy shop, and every town has a British candy shop, whether you know it or not, <laughs> you ask for the Curly Whirly. Get the Curly Whirly. Get 10 Curly Whirlies. Get 20 so you have some for your friends. And it is the Marathon Bar, and it's outstanding. And that's just the detour based on Mike's story, but also about how our painful stories led to something good. Did you, Dan, get busted for... Taking your mom's money out yeah. of her purse. Okay. Yeah, I got in a lot of trouble. Yeah, uh, for you know breaking mom's trust, for leaving the house without permission. We were little. I wasn't five. I was probably seven. Cody was probably five. But we knew not to do that as well. I mean, there were there were so many layers of this is not acceptable behavior. It was that was a uh, that was a heck of a thing. Yeah, I, I I wanted to tell you that being back at camp this year has um, stirred up some stories that I forgot about, that I stuffed away, and they're not, they're not the filtered, joyful stories, and yet they, uh, I think, are serving me in a really important way, ultimately bringing me to a place of gratitude for a whole lot of things. And, um, and I wanted to tell you guys, and, and I guess because you're my friends first off, and you are both rabbis, I thought it'd be a bit interesting opportunity too to, to, to like study a little bit about what does teshuva mean, what's its function, and um, is it only something that we do during high holy days? Is it something we can we do every day? And uh, here's the story: 
This summer is 15-year anniversary of me traveling to camps all around the country. Ron Klotz mm. sent me out 15 years ago this summer. So that anniversary is on my mind. And I've been thinking about what can I do this summer to be uh, to honor that time and to... Um, to enjoy it and to think program in, in a fresh way of uh, program and about the work of song leading and teaching. And so that's been on my mind. And then at the very beginning of this summer, I'm in Wisconsin. I'm teaching song leading at, at Havanashira in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. And one of the electives I did was an elective called Story Songs. And I was paired up with Kenny Chasen to do Story Songs because that community knows that Kenny was my counselor when I was 15 years old, 14 here at camp, and um, he would play story songs for us in the dark. It lights out programs. And that next fall, I picked up the guitar and wanted to learn to play guitar like Kenny did. So I started playing those guitar songs. Well, as Kenny and I this summer are playing those songs, we're wrapping up at the end and he's saying thank you to me and to everybody there. And he says, I don't know if you know this, but this summer is our 30 year anniversary. 30 years ago this summer, we were in Cabin 17, and I was your counselor, and here we are playing these songs, and that's just so sweet. Well, there's, that's nice. I like the numbers there, 15, and then there's 30. Now, then I come to camp. I was moved by that story, and I'm like, wow, it's been 30 years. That means I've been playing guitar for 30 years. Wow. Okay. So there's that going on, and I'm reflecting on that, and then I get to camp. And it's orientation, it's staff orientation. And the program director here is Chase Foster, who's in rabbinical school, he's a lifelong Gucci guy, comes up to me and he said, we do this program called Behind Closed Doors. Would you be willing to help? And I said, sure, just offhand, I'd love to. Behind Closed Doors is a program where there are set, like a set induction, a scene is about to happen, and a collection of staff members who are training to be the staff for the summer, come in on this situation. One person from the circle is chosen to be um, the one that kind of engages with the actors that are in that are acting out the scene. And um, I was asked to be part of this. I've known about this program, or yeah, this program, this educational program for years, but I've only seen it from a from a distance, from the periphery. I've never witnessed it firsthand. And Chase asked me if I would be one of the actors in one of the scenes. I said, fine. So there we are, and I'm doing it, and just before we're about to do it, like five minutes before, I get incredibly nervous, and I'm not sure why. And I even went to Chase and said, hey, is it possible you can get coverage for somebody else? I have some things to do. And he gave me the look that I knew he was going to give me, which is, are you freaking kidding me? It's five minutes before the program. I need you to do it. And he said, I need you to do it. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. So I said, great. So I go into the cabin, and here's the scene. Now, I didn't even see that the scene that we're supposed to do was um, I'm with uh, Abby Melamed, right? Abby Melamed. And our scene is um, she and I are campers in the cabin and she tells a joke to me that is um, homophobic and I'm offended by it. And you're, the scene that the group walks, the, train, the trainees walk in on is their counselors walking in on this just as this is happening. And um, my role in this scene is to uh, tell the, the person who's told me the joke that I'm offended by it and that hurt, hurts my feelings and then I run out of the cabin. And the counselor, the group, has to deal with that situation in the moment. 
Okay. So it happens. And Abby's the one that tells the joke and I'm offended and I run out and I run away and the, and all this is happening. And as I'm realizing, as I'm acting this out, I'm going back in time to when I was in cabin 17 with Kenny Chasen. He's my counselor and Mike Waterman was my counselor and Glenn Lovett was my counselor. And I'm in the cabin. Now going back in time, here's the deal. There were no homophobic jokes back then, but it was definitely, I was engaged. I was a perpetrator of hazing somebody in our cabin and he got so upset and then that he ran out of the cabin in hysterics and like ran into a tree and bloodied his nose and ended up in the, 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 um, infirmary up top. And, um, and then, you know, all the counselors came back into the cabin this was late at night. And Bruce Lustig, who right now is here on faculty this year for the first time in years and years and years, who was my unit at the time, came in and we had to deal, deal with this thing. And two of us got kicked out of, out of camp for bullying this boy, for putting hands on him. And here I am 30 years later reenacting this scene where I'm the one, I'm the one offended by the joke. I'm the one running out of the cabin and hiding and sitting under the cabin waiting for someone to come get me. And I feel like... I was reenacting what this boy suffered 30 years ago that we did to him. And I'm reading, and we'd run the scene like seven or eight times for all the rotations to go through. Uh, that was a, to me, that felt like Shuva. Like I was, I, I thought through and felt through that situation like I'd never felt before. And um, it felt profound. And I just, First off, thank you for the program. I think it's incredible for our staff to have this kind of program. And what is tshuva in the first place? I mean, it gives us the opportunity to look within, right? And to make things right that might not have been. So the rabbis say that we should be doing tshuva every day. We should be seeking repentance every single day. Because we always want to make the right thing happened. And so, you know, the sins, the challenges, the screw-ups we've done aren't as egregious as as the scenario that we've talked about, right? Um, all the time. But the little things that we do when we hurt someone's feelings by saying something that we thought was funny without thinking about it. Not that's homophobic, but whatever, you know? And why harbor that? Why hold on to that? Why not real when we recognize it, say, I want to make it right. I want to say, I want to say to someone, I'm sorry. I, I wasn't trying to hurt someone's feelings. And that's only going to benefit the other person, make them feel better, only going to help us too. Because the more we hold things in, the more we don't do it, one, we're not growing, we're not helping ourselves, And two, we're more apt to do it again. Maimonides says, the Rambam says that what's real tshuva when you find yourself in the exact same scenario and this time you do the right thing. This time you, you don't do that which is hurtful. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's always, I think, for me, a, a good reminder because when will you ever find your? I mean, it's, it's sort of a funny way to look at it because when will you ever find yourself in the exact same scenario? But the reality is so much of it does come back to us in some way or another. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's where we're really being honest with ourselves, where we've grown. You know, you asked me the question before to leapfrog big time to something else, but to come back in the same, uh, 
context, what's some of the most important things about camp for me is because of the growth it's given me when I screwed up. When, because of the relationships here and the respect I had for people here who called me on the carpet when I did things wrong that helped me learn what was right. And so I can think of multiple things as I was growing, as I was a counselor, as I was a unit head, things that I learned from people I respect, Rabbi Bruce Lustig, when I first started here, Rabbi Ron Klotz, Rabbi Sanford Kopnick, Rabbi Mark Glickman, things they taught me or just shared with me. And, And sometimes they're in the heat of a moment too, where when I really thought about it, I realized there's a lot of truth there and I need to work on this, and I will become a better counselor, but ultimately a better person, and and grow because of it. And because this is a safe environment and a great community in that way, I was able to grow so much more than in so many other environments I've lived in. One of the, the really beautiful things about the Hebrew language is the way it takes words that in English lose some meaning for us, and we look at where they come from, and there's such beautiful flavor to them. And so we know when it comes to the, the area of teshuvah uh, and repentance, that there's also the word for sin, which is chet, which is an archery term that means to miss the mark. So that the sense is that we're not, uh, we're not innately evil people who do evil things. We're good people who lose our way, who get confused, who our aim goes off. And I think especially if you are a 14-year-old boy or 15-year-old boy in cabin 17, your aim is way off, and you miss the mark all the time. And the corresponding word of of teshuvah is not just repentance, it's turning. It's a directional thing. It's making a conscious turn in another direction. And what you've done in the 30 years since then is a long, long turning. And we see it today with, with some of the staff members I have, some of my wonderful leadership uh, here on this camp are people who, as campers, made more than their fair share of big mistakes very similar to yours. And they've become some of the most incredible people I know. And they've made that turn. And whether it's done with a conscious sense of repentance or not, they're impacting other people in positive ways. So it's not just simply being able to say, I'm sorry, and that that does something. It's the act of creating more goodness out of it. And when you played that role in Behind Closed Doors, uh, yeah, it's a great program, and our staff, especially our first-time counselors, pay close attention to it. But part of the reason they learned from that scenario is because of the respect they have for you. Because you've been coming back here for many years, and you've got the respect of our staff members because of the, the person you are. It's not just because of the music. It's because of your personality and the genuine nature that you put forth as you meet new staff members and you really want to get to know them. And they've got incredible respect for you. And so in the past 30 years, it's all been 30 years of Teshuvah. What happened last week was not a a solitary moment of Teshuvah. It was the culmination of 30 years of turning so that you've become someone that your complete person makes up for who you were in that one moment in cabin 17. And you've done so much more good with it. Um, you know, for me, one of, I always thought one of the worst 
personal mistakes I made was when I was program director here and had access to the staff files reading my own staff file. And if you ever have a chance to do it, don't do it. It is a mistake. Uh, and I got to see just how little my Avodah unit heads thought of me, how little the unit heads that I worked for as a staff member thought of wow. me until, until my fourth year as a counselor uh, when Adam Morris was Rabbi Adam Morris was my unit head, no one had anything good to say. And when I first looked at that file, I, w- I was bothered by it, really bothered for many years. And a couple of years ago, I looked at it again, now as the director, with the maturity to recognize they were absolutely right. Uh, I-, I was uh, very immature, and we were younger than as counselors. We started a year earlier. I wasn't ready for it. I made a lot of bad judgment calls. I was not the best counselor. Um, And I get to hold that file now on my desk so that when I'm interviewing counselors and I'm interviewing people who I saw them as campers and I don't like what I see, or I saw them as Avodana Keen and I don't think they're ready and I don't want to necessarily trust my children to them. Right. Every single time I open up my file and I look at it and I think about how Ron Klotz brought me back year after year and I don't know why he did. (laughs) <laughs> I, I and you know with with Ron's memory I don't know if he knows why he did <laughs> but but he did and you know I think about Adam Morris that he was willing to look at some of the same things that other people saw and just said this kid does not have a future at this camp and was able to see where the potential was and that encourages me then to hire people who I may have to keep my eye on but I'm going to give them that same chance I got and for me that's my teshuva um, and I keep that thing there as a reminder of who I was and that I can turn that into something good for others, giving them that same opportunity to, to grow up and, and to flourish and, and reach their potential. Hmm. Wow. I forgot about those files. Let's go look at yours. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. Um, I didn't know they were saved. Well, yeah. I never even considered it. I, you know what? At one point, I would not I, want to read them. When I was program director, at one point, I remember it came up, and I thought, no, that because we were looking at some other old files. Um, yeah, I haven't seen that stuff, but I'm I'm content with where I am and how I've grown. Yeah. And uh, but there'd be one file from '86. I'd be really curious what Ron said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? I, I'm glad I had the opportunity to make mistakes here at Goldman Union Camp. And there's certain things that, that that I don't think I could have learned what I learned without having slipped the way I did. And it, 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 there's there's no doubt. I mean, and, and Ron and I have talked about it, and Sanford and I have talked about it, just the conversations we had as well. And I, I reflect upon it as a supervisor, as a rabbi, as a teacher now, and when I'm working with kids, teens, college kids, and reminding them too of what's really important. It's true. It is. Mm-hmm. It makes me think about um, what Rabbi Jan Katsu taught me a couple of years ago. This idea: never give up on a kid, and how that can apply to ourselves as well. Never giving up on ourselves, right? And that that is why it's why. If you're willing to have that faith in yourself and you're willing to do the turn and you're willing to work towards the mark, hitting the mark, it's, it's going to be okay. 
just the the rhythm or the loop of 15 years and then 30 years that was playing some good head games with me make me feel happy uh not happy um right introspective yeah reflective yeah. Uh, speaking of head games, uh, Foreigner's Greatest Hits was also one of the uh, tapes I was listening to that summer on my Walkman. Like, what song was that? Cold as Ice? Oh, the song Head Games. Head Games. Head Games! <laughs> you and me, baby. Head. Okay. Um, let me just point out that Foreigner was in my catalog, but most of the other things, mine was much different. Um, R.E.M., Yaz. Squeeze. Yes, squeeze. Depeche Mode. Really? Yeah. Depeche Mode. Yeah. Never got it. Oh, yeah. I think I get it now. Any Remember? Smiths? Oh, yeah. Morrissey? Totally. Yeah. Didn't get it at the time. Now, love it. Echo and the Bunny. Yeah. Really? Echo and the Bunny. Don't, okay. Yes. Flock of Seagulls? No. Okay. Thank God. No. <laughs> no, no. Because those bands weren't pop. They were... Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh... Though the one pop one that I did have in there was Thompson Twins. Oh, well, that's what was the set? What was the hit with them? If I was king for just one day, I would give it all away. Spandau Ballet? No. Crowded House? Yes. Yeah. Our house. I miss Crowded House. I mean, they're still doing things, but I just don't feel like anybody knows about Crowded House. How about how about our, in high school, the best band who was a one-hit wonder? Nationally? Yes. Best band from high school? Eddie Grant? No. No. <laughs> Shut down corner. So bam, Electric Avenue. Okay, I guess uh, that was, I, was a, I remember that was huge when I was at Kutz That song In 84 or 83 But I'm thinking of something else Wow, that was I was not thinking of Big Country I'm thinking of Dexy Midnight Runners Okay, that would be like 8th grade for you 10th grade for me Or 7th, 9th grade This, this these songs is a, play, a soundtrack of my my Gezi years here at camp, the you know that post bar mitzvah age um, cabin, and my greatest hunts of all time. That just so obnoxious, but I was very proud of it at the time. And these songs are taking me back to it. Kunz is a practical joke. <laughs> um, at the time, our cabin had a culture. Maybe all the cabins did. Of how many times can we get the night guard Shmira to come into the cabin? And we'd have a tally on the wall. And if we're into the teens, it was a good session. So we would try to get Shmira to come in as many times as possible. And then once they came in, we tried to engage them in conversation. So these songs made me think of the cunts that I did. I had a boombox, big Panasonic boombox <laughs> with, you know, eight double D batteries. And um, double D, no, just D, just D. <laughs> That's another camp memory I cannot talk about right now. Mm. But <laughs> Panasonic boombox with the Who's Baba O'Reilly on cassette in the chamber, turned to full full tilt, <laughs> placed in the trunk. Trunk closed, padlock engaged. <laughs> and I, key, wasn't the key thrown away? 
No, it was just a good old, you know, like a... Oh, know, a, a, I thought... Combination lock. Steve told me the story, Steve Derringer, <laughs> that they they had to actually, they had to cut the lock off. No, that that is... That Apocryphal? is a filter. Yes, that's the filter of memory, changing well, never, the story. Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Yeah. That that happened. Yeah. And that was, that felt, that was so empowering as a 13-year-old and kid to do that. I'm, I like the tune you picked for it, too. I'd like to see if we could interview Pete Townsend right now and Roger Daltrey. Do you know what Bob O'Reilly was able to do for us at Golden Union Camp? And see what they had to say. Can we bring them on to the Camp Danny show? The only thing better would have been if you'd actually been able to put Pete Townsend himself in the trunk. <laughs> when, when probably around that same year, uh, like a couple years later, maybe uh, when you were my counselor, and we saw the old A-frame cabins that had the attics with the sliding panels. Oh, I forgot about um, that. Whenever there would be a certain Shmira, a certain night guard on duty, who was already mentioned in this show, uh, it was not you, but um, his name rhymed with Shmen Shmovit. Uh-huh. Um, we would, and, and, and this I believe was a Doug Passan idea, we would <laughs> quietly remove the panel, climb up through the attic, quietly remove the panel next door in cabin 17, jump down on their bunk screaming so that they would wake up screaming at the top of their lungs. We'd climb back through to our bunks, <laughs> replace the panels, pretend to be asleep, and the Shmira would go into their cabin and yell and scream at them. And they'd say, it wasn't us. It wasn't us. And we were just fast asleep in our bunks. That was my cabin. I was very proud of them when wow. I learned when I learned the story 15 years later. <laughs> wow. I was always afraid of that attic. I never even considered going up there. People will follow Doug Passon into anything. That that, that explains <laughs> the Rodine film. <laughs> yeah, in many ways, look at that one. Yikes! So I I, I want to also just mention uh, you know now the the wash houses at Gucci are still very unique in that. Uh, we don't have bathrooms in our cabins. They are uh, communal wash houses. But now they do at least have shower stalls with shower curtains. And when we were campers and staff members, it was a giant pit. It was like a you know a football room. locker room. It was a shower room. It was hang beef it, convention. It was, it was hang beef convention. It was don't let you meatloaf. <laughs> um, and there were a couple of years when we were on staff where I believe one summer it might have been synchronicity. And one summer it was Graceland, and one summer it was Joshua Tree. Yes. Where we, and especially with Joshua Tree, we yeah. all spent hours in there air banding to the yeah. entire album. Yes. Um, and, and thank God for those wooden slats in there where we all would, would have slipped and broken our butts. And we sang. We, we sang. Our heart's out. I still yeah. haven't found what I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And it Street. was just the right album for that. It was just perfect. We sang, uh, getting ready for Shabbat, I remember, I remember... Like yesterday, being in the shower, all of us singing, Steve Derringer, top of his lungs, yeah. harmonizing, singing yeah. out you 2 That was the best. Synchronicity was earlier. I think that may be when you were a camper. Maybe, yeah. Because um, I don't remember that. Um, and uh, But I, the Josh, we've talked about that before. My kids know that. My kids know. Ellie, my daughter, will pick songs sometimes from the playlist, and she'll put on you 2 She goes, Dad, this is for you. Camp Memories. I'm like, I'm like that's so, that's so nice. nice. <laughs> that's so funny. And then she goes, "Yeah, you're dark." <laughs> I'm like, ah, "That's not funny." Okay, can we lighten it up? Yeah. Other camp things now. Let's lighten and rise to a, a nice little close. Dexie's midnight runner. Let's go back to that. Yeah. Do, can you can you like play that loop at the yes, end of this? We'll, we'll do, just slide do, it right do, in there. Do, 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 do.
I think all these songs we've referenced will just slide some little moments in By there. the way, um, my friend Markovitz did bring in meatloaf before, and on the way down to camp last week when we were driving with the kids, we got tired of the music they wanted to play on the radio. Enough Jason Derulo, uh, enough Will I Am. And so Leslie and I said, you're going to listen to our music. And so... I don't know. We found meatloaf in the jukebox of the, of the Ford Flex. That I guess when I loaded stuff in there, I threw in a meatloaf CD. And I'm like, you guys have to listen to this. And they're like, oh man, no. I'm like, no, no. And and then I told them a story when mom was in college. She lip synced the song, a big sorority thing. When the award, I wasn't there. I didn't know Leslie yet, but I know the story. It was apocryphal as it is. And so it was very funny. And so they, they, I don't know. Paradise by the dashboard lights. Yes. Let's go around like some happy things that are happening, memories right now that are happening right now in camp that delight you that you've seen in the last week since kids have come. Today is Sunday. Kids came last Tuesday. So we've had a full day Wednesday, Thursday. We had Shabbat Friday night and Saturday. And here we just finished up Sunday. Like, what have you seen that's just delighted you, made you happy, inspired you? Made you feel good. I've seen some good singing, heard some good singing. There's been moments in the Chadar Ochel, in the dining hall, when when camp just, one time in particular on Thursday, singing Hine Matovu Manayim was, and you happened to be song leading at that moment with the song leaders, and it was this just perfect moment where harmonies were coming together, and it was just very organic, and, and it just it made me feel great. That felt good. Yeah, I was. I was. It was a good, and it was also lunchtime, which I think yeah. is, is the hardest time to sing, the hardest song session, and to teach at lunch. I'm I'm half asleep, you know. Yeah. So, that's one. We'll keep going. That's a quick one. Uh, Josh Goldman is a first time camper, uh, and, and we and we have some campers here that I've just been enjoying watching because as first timers, their energy and their enthusiasm is. Is insane. I think one one of you brought up uh, the other day, maybe the the new first time camper who's been break dancing uh, in the middle of the dining hall, and this is uncommon for there to be this kind of confidence and enthusiasm. And, and Joshua Goldman is a, uh, a first timer, and he is just a, a little um, pug bundle of a boy with a with a, a, a mohawk. I think some people have called it a faux hawk. I believe my dad calls it a schmohawk. <laughs> and uh, and he's just got a bright smile and bright eyes, and he is energetic. And every song session, he is clapping, full armed claps. His arm goes way up in the air and back down and claps. And he's just he, he's full of energy and enthusiasm and, and innocence for camp. And um, he sat next to me Friday night at Shabbat services and asked specifically as I was doing my traffic cop and telling him to move up, move up. He came. And he said, uh, Rabbi Kovitz, can I sit with you and your wife? I said, sure. And we sat in the back row together and he would not stop talking, but he was asking questions and asking wonderful questions. And at one point, uh, when our song leader, Jacob Krause was up there, uh, with another song leader, uh, Josh leans over to me and goes, is that Jacob Krause? I said, yeah, he's a really nice guy. <laughs> I said, yeah, he is. And he says, he taught us this song today in Shabbat prep. I said, and do you feel prepared? Yeah, I do. <laughs> and he was so excited by that. And then, as, as you know, later in the service, uh, as it got towards the end, he leaned over to me and said, um, Rabbi Kovitz, uh, 
are we going to do what we do at my temple at home and introduce new people when it's all over? And I thought, well, I don't know how we can do that. You know, at temples all over, they introduce the visitors. If you're visiting, stand up and introduce yourselves. And I thought, well, we, we got a lot of people here. We can't do that. Um, but I didn't say that to him. I just thought he, he was so excited. He knows what goes on in his temple. and he, He's just excited to bring it here. And so when services were over, we started what I hope will be a new custom, which is I asked anyone who was celebrating their first Shabbat in our sanctuary to, to stand. And we said, Sheikh Yanu, our, our blessing for special moments and first times. And he was beaming. He was in the background just beaming. And as I came back around, I think, Danny, I, I passed by you. And you mentioned something about Josh. And I said, that is a future program director right there. And just watching him with his bright enthusiasm is magical to me. And I, I don't know how podcasts and, and whatnot work, where they get stored to me. I still can't figure out where the internet is. And I'll never wrap my brain around all of this until I figure out where it is. But I hope that that 10 years from now, 15 years from now, when he's the program director, we'll be able to find this and, and he and I can sit and listen to it. Oh. Yeah, he's a hell of a kiddo. What's yours? Well, I have a bunch, but there's one that's coming to my mind. Last night, we had an all-camp concert. My band did not come. They were not available. And I just thought, well, we're going to make something of it. So we did. It really became this parade of song leaders and campers who wanted to participate in making music with me. I kind of locked it down. It was the safety net. And halfway through the concert, there's a girl, a young girl. I think she maybe is a first-time camper. And I think her name is Rachel. And I had met her at our unit program that I did with the youngest unit days earlier. And we're singing sweet as honey sweet as honey and for a split second rachel's eyes she's right on the front row looking up at me and our eyes lock she's got this big smile on her face and she's got her hands up going hi dan and then she was so open i just had to go basically to camp uh you guys keep singing i have to say hi to rachel so i just went back to rachel and went hi rachel then i turned on back to camp baruch we're singing the song and i turned back over to my right and now Rachel is on stage and she's reaching for the microphone, which is three feet above her head and she can't get it. So a counselor comes on stage, gives hands with the microphone and she's just starting to go. Now, I don't, I said hi, but she heard, come up on stage and sing lead vocals with the band. And she did and she sang it. And I don't think she, by the way she sang Sweet Sunny, I don't think she's ever heard the song before. <laughs> <laughs> You, Dan, God bless you. You turned an entire part of the song over to her. You looked at her and you said, Rachel, take this section. Yeah. <laughs> it was the part with the blessing. And yes. she did not know what to do, but she did it anyway. That's right. She just totally owned it. And she was having the best time. The song ended. She went back down into the crowd. The next song started. And she brought four friends up to share in another experience that she would help. So that was a real highlight for me. Delightful. That we that that camp can be that kind of place where a kid can just say, "I'm in. Here we go." That's what I love about this camp. Once this you, camp is a superpower for that. Once you commit, the rest is easy. So, 
I'd say I saw Cabin 12. They're having a tough time earlier in the day. Yeah. And I knew they were going to do the Ming Dollar today. I checked in with them at dinner, and they're all so stoked. They're like, we did it. We did it. We conquered it, man. They're all excited. And one kid in particular who I knew at Shior this morning was having a tough time, really acting out with his peers, with his counselors. He was so excited to share with me that he made it up to the top. I didn't think I'd make it. I didn't think I could do it. And so he, he was proud. And seeing those kind of accomplishments, yeah. it's cool. I'd say playing basketball yesterday on Shabbos. Oh, yeah. That was great. It was a great ACC combination. I was proud that I was able to say this is Duke, Carolina coming together. And we took on um, Asher. And- Michael, Michael here went to Duke the same time I was going to North Carolina. And we're still close friends. And we appreciate each other's programs. It's been a difficult relationship, but we've been able to work through it. And now are even proud of each other's programs. And Asher, your boy Asher, was playing basketball with us. And Micah Derringer, who's yeah. sort of like our other son, yeah. one of our other sons. And um, and and we had a young woman on our team, Allie, who was popping up three pointers. Allie, the count- Shorish counselor, Allie. Which, there's two of them in Shorish. Well, Allie, the, the Allie who's been suffering last year with lots of concussions. She's just had a string of very bad luck. She keeps getting concussions. And so she's got these headaches and memory loss, and she's just really struggling. Can I say her last name? Sure. Allie Kamen? I don't know. Heart specialist? No. No, no. She, this, so Blonde Allie, hair. Allie Lewis. Yeah, yeah, Lewis. So this is the deal. She, uh, she's playing knockout in the mini program we're doing, and she's jacking up these threes and draining them. And then she sticks around for the basketball game. She's fearless. She's a baller. I would n- never guessed it in a million years. She's a baller, though. It was fun. It was, it was fun. good. So that was. I mean, you know what? The fact that my son wanted to play, he wanted us to play with him. Yeah. And and so it was like, okay, it's your time, but you want us here. That was cool. So that was special for me as a dad. Yeah. And then when Asher took you off the dribble with the finger roll, and as he's rolling it in, finger roll to the hoop and scoring, he says, "Tony Parker, hey, who won tonight? The Spurs." obliterated the heat won by over 20 points and they are now the, the yeah. nba champions they embarrassed the heat wow okay I, 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 I don't know why when you're talking about alley hoisting up those threes for some reason i just keep picturing sherman douglas and i don't know why not metal lark lemon sherman douglas sherm wow interesting not world be free not not world be free sherman douglas Celtic? Sherman Douglas as a Celtic. Not for Syracuse? uh, He was an Orangeman. Okay. Nice reference. Wow. Oh, how about the uh, spontaneous huggage from Sam? Camper Sam just walked up to me on Thursday, just goes, here, spontaneous hug. Here. Three-second hug. See you later. Like, okay. Then at dinner, hi, Dan, spontaneous hug. Three-second hug. (laughs) See ya. Have a good dinner. It's like four or five times a day. Whenever he sees me, he goes, he points at me from across the room, runs up. He says, spontaneous hug. So I finally asked him, I was like, hey, this is fine, but what's the deal? Like, you're doing this for everybody? He's like, no, just special for you. Just want to give you a hug. Are you feeling special? Yeah, it's amazing. It's cool. I don't know why that happened. It was (laughs) damn nice, though. Yeah. One of my great memories so far is just uh, opening day. Um, 
you know, and this is a positive. It harkens back to a negative. But after the summer we had last summer uh, yeah. with, the, with the near tragedy here, uh, opening day, seeing two of our lightning victims come back on camp for a new session of camp and uh, Ethan Kadish's sister come back for camp just with, with the, the, the hopefulness and the, the spirit that they always come to camp with. And uh, one of those campers, Noah Auerbach, is such a beautiful free spirit. And, and he comes from a line of Gucci folks. And his, his mom and his aunt were both my campers and were free spirits. And uh, to, to be on the Shabbat walk Friday night and pull up into the boys' area and from a distance spot the yellow pants and the vest and the fedora and know <laughs> there's our Noah Auerbach. And he is just being him. And yeah. it just, it, it kind of, for me, brought a lot of stuff uh, full circle and reset from, yeah. from last summer, just seeing him uh, doing his thing and feeling good about it. I had a moment like that today with Lily. Lily walks up to me and she was hurt last year and she's just recovered beautifully and she's back on camp and she's just full sunshine just pretty much all the time. Well, she I'm walking somewhere and she goes, hi, Dan. And she's walking with a little spring in her step and she's got a can of pop. And I go, what you got there? And she goes, I got Ohana Punch. A what? I thought I, I thought she said, I thought you said you've been punched by Ohana. What are you talking about? She was like, no, I got Ohana Punch, Dan. It's Ohana Punch. It's a, I guess, Beverage. fruit punch called Ohana Punch. Do you know Ohana means family, and family means no one gets left behind? I didn't know that. That's true. So we were walking together. <laughs> she wants to tell me about... <laughs> Your daughter will tell you. I'm sure she's watched Lilo and Stitch. She'll tell you. Oh, okay. I have, yeah, I, I have not. Okay. That, that's from the show. It is. Okay. From the program. Okay, and wake up, wake up's now in three hours. Okay, bottom line, uh, she said, and do you know why it's called Ohana Punch? I said, in fact, I don't even know why it's called Punch at all. I don't even know what Punch is, why it's called Punch. And she said, well, here's what happens. The fruit is picked, and then the fruit is punched. <laughs> Just get, get all of that. Get all of that. You got to get it out. It's poison. She says, the fruit is picked, Dan, at the Ohana. And then the fruit is punched. And they collect the juices from the fruit that has been punched. And then they put it in a can. And then I drink it. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it. And that's why it's called Ohana Punch. Yeah. And to see the way she talks about anything... It's just a delight. Yeah. So that was another little whimsical thing. It's late. Thank you for staying up late after hours with Nanny Dickles in uh, room G. I say G for God. That's what I saw. Really? Yeah. Goodness. <laughs> okay. Last thoughts? Good night. Gucci. Last thoughts. Last thought? Uh, I, I've been... Um... Over the past couple summers, uh, I brought all my CDs to camp. I, I still have not joined the iPod age, and I've got all my CDs next to my desk. And every night, leadership staff members come and sit in my office to meet with me, and we just end up, you know, having a blast. And and some of them I put music on and 
classic rock and stuff they've never heard. And uh, Sam Pollock, one of our great uh, song leaders uh, of all time here at camp, has not heard any of it. And he listens every wow. says, He says, I don't care what you put on. I, I love all of it. And so I've, I've been playing uh, a lot of Almond Brothers and Neil right. Young and just some great classic stuff. But it's all along the same vein. And today I, I said, all right, what am I going to put in? I want something different. And my eyes lit upon Boz Skaggs. And I, I had two Boss Gag CDs. Why, I don't know. Uh, because each of them has the same songs, only three of which I want to hear. Uh, and I put it in, and it got to one of those busy camp days where uh, you put a CD in and you never get around to pressing play. And so it's still on my desk. And going back to all the music conversations we had tonight, I just hope that when, when you put some music in at the end of this, uh, pick your favorite Boss Gags, whether it's Lido Shuffle or Lowdown, whatever it is and throw a little bit of it in there okay boss gags for parting shots well my day was filled with billy bragg we had we had a random billy bragg moment earlier today which which has been playing through my loop right all day long there and, is no real substitute for a bull struck squarely and firmly he enjoyed it thoroughly so, but then when Leslie and I went out this evening, the band came on. And so I was thinking of you because I, I felt like that something, see, Mark would be happy to be in my car right now. Was it the weight? It was, no, it was, um. Acacia Driftwood? No. Take a load off, Annie. That's the weight. Oh, it's the weight? Okay, I'm sorry. And not only is it the weight, we'll have to save this for a future podcast, but last night when we went out, we were talking to you, Mike, about Me Here songs. Uh, a very special kind of song, and The Weight is a Me Here song. She's the one who sent me here with her regards for everyone. See? It's full circle. I also want to say a favorite moment was um, enjoying three share songs together in um, Happy Day. Uh, that we had that as well. Three, I died. three share songs. <laughs> and watching you go up to that gentleman and saying, Yeah, that probably if I to do that again, I wouldn't do that. I tried, I think- to, I tried to explain to Leslie. That that moment and and the share songs and and how strange it was. <laughs> My parting shot is that in that conversation last night, me here got us to Leonard Skinnerd, and Leonard Skinnerd got us to a theory that I have that I want as part of the parting shots. Sonically, I want to roll in some Leonard Skinnerd and some Bob Seger. I think there is, as I said last night, and I'm standing firm with it 24 hours later, there is serious, significant, sonic overlap between Leonard Skinner and Bob Seger. I'm going to listen for it. I'd like, I'd like to see this proven. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. Let me... <laughs> That's the boss gags. That's we're gonna. That's what we're going out with. Well, Lido I've enjoyed all of this. I'm sorry I've been a little tired at times. You've uh, rallied many times. I saw some yawn, some closing of the eyes. You're like nodding off, and then you back. Thank you. Thank you. Well, no, I was just resting. I, okay. I mean, I was constantly present. Um, and you've now created for me another camp memory. For real, you know, like cool. that. What happened in Room G? It used to be with something else that happened in Room G that we're not going to talk about right now. But um, I'm kidding because. These these rooms only existed for me when I've been uh, a, a rabbi. 
I was told about some rogue cook cooking in here by some <laughs> rabbinical faculty that <laughs> caused the room to just stench so terribly. Some Abedan Akeem told me about that. Yes, yes. Um, but I don't I have know. no idea what you're talking about. G for God, G for good, G, G for, for Gucci. Gucci. G for good radio. <laughs> G for good radio. And G for good night. For Rabbi Michael Moskowitz, Temple Shir Shalom Woo! of Living Judaism. For Rabbi Mark Kovitz, Goldman Union Camp. Hey now. For Living Judaism. I'm Dan Nichols saying thanks for listening. Be good. Be holy. You're worth it. I think we have to have a hug right now. <laughs> Hang beef. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Next stop, shot.